If you have your Bibles with you this morning, whether it's on your phone or it's an actual hard copy, would you turn to Psalm chapter 1, Psalms 1. This summer at Spring Valley, we're going to be looking at the Psalms. Not all of them, there's 150 of them. So we're not doing a series all the way through the Psalms, but we're going to look at a, about nine of them this summer. The word psalm means song in Hebrew. The Psalms were the favorite songs or greatest hits for God's people. I don't know about you, but summertime was usually a time where music became important to me. It was when I was with my friends and we turned on the radio and certain songs would come on that I would always remember. And I don't know about, when I was a teenager, this is kind of weird, I freely admit it, I was, was like kind of wanting to fall in love during the summer. I thought that would have been a good time to fall in love. Uh, that didn't really happen a lot, um, pretty much during any of my teenage years. But that's a different sermon. But I don't know, maybe one song that I remember from the summer was uh, We Were Only Freshmen. Uh, do you guys remember that song? If you're like in my age group, maybe you do. It was by The Verve. And uh, that was the only song they had. And I just remember being in a car with some friends and I had just finished my freshman year and the song We Were Only Freshmen came on and we were like rocking out to that and I'm like, yes, this is my life. But isn't there something about music that it just connects with our soul? There's something about music that is universal. There's something about music that it transcends cultures and times and places. I don't know if you saw James Corden. Uh, he's a late night uh, host and he does carpool karaoke. I don't know if you saw the one with him and Paul McCartney driving through Liverpool, England, going to all of these different places where Paul McCartney uh, grew up. And then they did this concert in this pub suddenly for about 20 people. And by the end of it, there were like a thousand people packed into this little pub and they would just go over to the jukebox, put on a Beatles song and Paul McCartney, the screen would open and he would just be there and play for these people and it was just amazing. My dad loved the Beatles growing up and so I had to listen to some of the music. I know that all of us, we have special songs in our lives and these songs that we're going to look at, they were special to the people of God. They were sung when they were gathered for worship. And the Psalms, they cover a gambit of human experience. Here are the emotions the Psalms cover. Anxiety, depression, loneliness, lament, joy, thanksgiving, and praise. The Psalms never gloss over the reality of life with tidy, easy answers. But they always turn our attention to the nature and character of God. So to begin our series, we're going to look at the first psalm, Psalm 1, which is actually an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. If you want to know what the whole book of Psalms is about, read Psalm 1, because it asks us one of the most important questions. This is what Psalm 1 is about. Is happiness possible? Is happiness possible? For most of us, when we were young, we thought that happiness was inevitable, we assumed that everyone would like us. Everyone would appreciate us. We would find that special someone who would just be a perfect fit for us and not have morning breath. We would land a job that would both satisfy us and give us a sense of purpose and provide for the needs of our family. For those of us who have kids, maybe we thought when we were young that parenting would be a breeze because we made it so easy on our parents. We thought we would be blessed with easygoing, healthy kids, and all of our loved ones would live long lives and die peacefully in their bed 
at a ripe old age. That's exactly what life is like, isn't it? No, at some point you realize, like my nine-year-old neighbor Colby, who said to Cheryl this week, why do all the fun things in life go so fast and all the hard things take so long? Life is riddled with pain, unmet expectations, frustrations, fears, cancer, unemployment, and loss. And I don't know about you, but here's how I sometimes cope with unhappiness. See if this is you as well. I pick a point in the future, a milestone that I am going to reach, and I tell myself the story, once I'm there, then I will be happy. When I go to college and can get away from my parents, that's where happiness is. When I find a spouse, when I have kids, when I get a new job, when I get out of debt, when I get a bigger house, when I get a different spouse, when I go on vacation, okay, when I retire, then I'll be happy. And then maybe we start to wonder, maybe I'll be happy when I'm dead. You're like, this is very depressing. Some of us are here today and we think that happiness is unattainable. We are on a happiness quest. And I have a question for you, for each of you. Are you happy? Are you truly happy? If your situation in life didn't change at all from this moment forward, your marital status changed the, stayed the same, the number of kids you have or don't have stayed the same, the job you're in right now, that was it, that's what you were going to do, the house you're in, the car you drive, your aches and pains, they're going to be part of your life, could you still be happy? Or are you telling yourself the story that I think many of us do? Happiness is only one change in circumstance away. The entire book of Psalms opens with the word blessed. Blessed means an internal sense of well-being or rightness or fortunate or quite simply you can say the word blessed means happy. Psalm 1 opens like this, blessed is the man or the person. Happy is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come now and would you make this word alive? Lord, it won't be my preaching or how I say things that will really touch hearts and minds today. 
It has to be the Spirit of God working with the Word of God to open up our hearts, break down our walls. God, please get through to us today. Get through to me even as I'm preaching. Lord, I pray that we would really believe that the path to happiness is the one that you give us in Psalm 1. God, have your way now. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things I want to talk to you about this morning. The path to happiness and the picture of happiness. The path to happiness and the picture of happiness. The first is the path to happiness. Psalm 1 is a study of contrast. There are three contrasts in Psalm 1, contrasting the way of the godly and the way of the ungodly. The first contrast is about the different paths that the godly and the ungodly are on. Psalm 1 opens, happy, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. Notice the path people find themselves on that leads to radical unhappiness. First, what they do is they are just walking. All of us are walking somewhere. And as they're walking in a certain direction, they find themselves in the counsel of the wicked. The word counsel means advice. It really describes a pattern of thinking. When you see the word counsel, you have to think of a pattern of thinking. It's easy to be influenced to think by those who have no interest in God that life would be better without him. But then you move from walking, think about this as a picture, first you're walking in the pattern of thinking of the wicked, and then you start to stand in the way of sinners. Now now you're actually like, hey, this is pretty cool. I actually enjoy hanging out with people who have no regard for God. You've slowed down. And this word way in in the Hebrew is the word derek. And that's probably not exactly how you say it, but that's the English first name, derek. And this word way means a pattern of behavior. You are no longer just being influenced in your thinking. Now you are starting to behave like the ungodly. Sinners are those who are sinful. Now we're all sinful. So what does the psalmist mean by sinners? It's those who actually have an inclination to sin. That's all of us. But they have no interest in resisting sin. Their motto is follow your heart. Do what feels good. Happiness is found in obeying your desires. Sounds like pretty much the American dream. And once we're standing with the sinners, it isn't long before what? We are sitting with the mockers. Sitting with a group of people means that you are identifying with them. The people you sit with in Hebrew culture were those you sat with and said, these are my people. This is who I identify with. And what do the mockers do? They don't just love to live life apart from God. They love to criticize those who are trying to honor God. So catch what the psalmist is saying. We will never be happy when we choose to align our lives with those who think, behave, and find their identity in doing life apart from God. Think about this very profound statement. Your happiness is directly related to who and what is influencing you. Happiness is never found in the company of those who have no interest in life with God. 
Happiness is never found in sin. The world offers endless invitations to happiness, but have you noticed they can never deliver? Maybe we haven't realized that our unhappiness might be related to the fact that there are influences we are allowing into our lives that lead us further and further from Jesus. Maybe our books, our podcasts, our entertainment choices, our idolatry of sports, our idolatry of sports, maybe those don't stir our affections for God. Maybe they're actually killing our affection for God. Maybe our overindulgence in cable news in the name of being informed and building up our rhetoric against those we disagree with is actually dulling our spiritual life and causing us to live in fear of the future and anger at those we think who are our enemies. Maybe we are unhappy because we aren't in community with godly people and we aren't walking or standing or sitting with anyone who actually knows us as we are and we have invited to challenge us to follow Jesus with our whole hearts. See, we think that unhappiness is a cause of our circumstances and maybe it's actually a caused by our influences. I'm not dogging sports, I love sports. I watched two World Cup games yesterday. But sometimes I think we pour our lives into these things, into our Netflix, into our sports, into our shopping, even into good things like our eating, that they become these life-consuming things where we're actually searching for happiness, but they never deliver. Because I promise you today, you are on a happiness quest. So what is the path to happiness? Verse 2, but his delight... The happy man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The law of the Lord here isn't just referring to the part of the Bible known as the law. The first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch or the Torah, that's called the law. That's not exactly what this is referring to. It is the word Torah, but it's not just the law. It's not like if you meditate on Leviticus, you're going to get happy. It actually refers to all of God's counsel, all of God's commandments, all of God's guidelines, all of God's instructions. It's fair to say this refers to, in a New Testament setting, all of Scripture. And the psalmist says, if you want to be happy, here's what you have to do. Find all of your pleasure, all of your delight, all of your joy in what God has said in his word what God has said about himself, what he has said about you, what he has said about truth, what he has said about right and wrong, what has he told us about Jesus and the gospel that Jesus Christ has come to save sinners and that he rose from death. Happiness is having your thinking, your behavior, and your identity shaped by the word of God. And many of us don't experience this. We're flat out bored reading our Bibles. We think of reading our Bible as a religious duty instead of a path to happiness. We aren't being shaped by the scriptures. We may only think about what the Bible actually says for a few minutes on Sunday and never again the rest of the week. 
But the psalmist says that the path to happiness, if you really really want to be happy, here's what you need to do. Delight in and meditate on God's word. Meditate means to read aloud in a quiet voice. It also means to ponder and to reflect. Meditation involves careful, sustained thought. It takes work and focus and a desire of your will to know God. Meditation allows God's Word to penetrate our mind, our hearts, and our wills more deeply. It sends our roots down deep, taking in more and more of the life-giving water of the Word of God. Meditation has been compared to how a cow eats. A cow wakes up in the morning, and this is disgusting, by the way. A cow wakes up in the morning, eats some grass, lays down to take a nap. And after his nap, he wakes up and regurgitates the grass he already ate and continues to chew it to extract all the nutrients. And the cow does this over and over again. Yes, that's gross. Until everything that is life-giving is in his system or her system. Are you reading your Bible like a cow? You weren't expecting that question this morning, but it's a good sermon application. My guess would be that some of you are disappointed right now. Some of you have unbelief in your hearts. Some of you are sinning with unbelief because you think happiness is not found in knowing God. There has to be a silver bullet. There has to be something else. Happiness is knowing God. Maybe the idea of diving into the scriptures and reading and digesting them sounds boring to you. Some of you have convinced yourselves that you don't have the time to meditate on God's word. And the whole idea of day and night is this idea of you're meditating on God's word all the time. Not that you call in every day and say, yo boss, I can't come to work, I'm meditating on scripture. But that the scriptures are always present in your mind and heart. That your thoughts are turned that way. That your behaviors are informed by them. And that your identity is rooted in the scriptures. I don't know, I was, uh, yesterday my son Joseph came up to me and he said, Dad, LeBron James is not staying in Cleveland. And I'm like, okay, now LeBron, if you don't know who LeBron James is, he's the Michael Jordan of 2018. If you don't know who Michael Jordan is, We'll talk after service. (laughs) Dad, LeBron James is not going to Cleveland. And then he said this. He goes, Dad, do you know that there are people watching the air traffic control websites to try and find out where LeBron James' plane is? I'm like, that's sad. Isn't that sad? Like, I know we're all hoping he comes to Philly. I am praying with you. But sometimes we like, we have time. Like dudes, I promise you already know the Eagles schedule for next year. You know all their opponents. You know when Sunday night football is, you know when Monday night football is. You know whose contract is expiring next year. But no, I don't got time for God's word, I'm busy. I'm busy, yo. I got a family to raise, gotta cut the grass. Man, I'm hustling all the time, gotta do it. No time for God. 
Oh, but I got time. Oh, Nikki Foles? Yeah, we can talk about Nikki Foles. He loves Jesus, you know? Sort of like reading the Bible, right? <laughs> Guys, I'm not dogging you, maybe a little, but he, here's my thing, because this is the pushback I get from dudes. Oh, I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't really get anything out of it when I read the Bible. I just want to share this with you. It's not a textbook. It takes focus. It takes time. It takes space. And I'm not talking about three hours a day. Like, how many of us were just setting aside, even if it's 15 minutes every day, where you can just read the Word of God? And I'm not saying, like, sometimes every year I try to read the Bible in the whole year, and I just want to let you know, I am O for October with that. I like to read about one chapter a day and really think about it. So if you think I'm talking about like the spiritual Olympics, like, oh, I read 17 chapters a day. That's cool if it works for you. Do you know what happens when I do that? I glaze over and I don't know what I'm reading anymore. So I know my personality. I need to focus in on a few verses and really take them into my heart. I shared last week that I was reading the Gospel of John. This week, I'm still reading the Gospel of John. I got to chapter 18 this week. Last week, I shared that I was on chapter 11. I'm on 18 now, one chapter a day. But I'm trying to think it through and pray it through and really focusing on. And listen, I want you to know that sometimes I fail at this. The sermon is not about guilt. It's not about be more religious. It's about do you want to be happy? Meditate on God's word. Meditate on God's word. Here's what I know about how God works. Sometimes God does something miraculous and supernatural in our lives. That's happened in my life maybe one or two times. But do you know that God mostly works through process? This week, we took my daughter Lucy to the doctor. It's been six weeks. For those of you who don't know, my daughter had surgery. She was going to get her, her casts off her legs. And in Lucy's mind, it was like, yes, six weeks is over. And do you know what the doctor said after he took the casts off, and Lucy has to learn to walk again, we'll see you in six more weeks. And you know what he said to her? You're doing great. The surgery went so well, you're healing up beautifully. But you know what Lucy didn't do? Hop off the table and walk out of that doctor's office. Now she has to go through physical therapy, and now she needs to learn to walk again over the next six weeks. And both Cheryl and I and Lucy, I think we walked out of there, and we were just kind of disappointed, like, oh, it's not the end of the road yet. But as I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about that moment, I thought, yeah, we're still in what? Process. When it comes to reading the Word of God, when it comes to being on the path to happiness, it's a process. You are not going to get zapped with happiness. You are going to Build it into your life by getting to know God. That's why the psalmist gives us this picture of the happy life. Here's the picture of happiness. The person who meditates and delights in the word of God is like this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This is a metaphor for happiness. 
a tree that has been planted by a stream of water. And this stream, this word in the Hebrew, it's peleg, it's the idea of a canal, it's artificial, meaning that this waterway never runs dry. This tree has a constant source of water. Those who turn away from the thought patterns, behaviors, and identity of the world and commit themselves to enjoying God and what he has said are transplanted from this dry and broken world of ours to a place where no matter what the world around them is doing, they are constantly nourished by the stream of God's life-giving word. I want you to notice something very important about this tree. I don't want you to think that I'm standing up here this morning or the psalmist is saying that if you delight yourself in the word of God, everything in life will always be perfect. That's not what he says. Notice that the tree goes through seasons. It bears fruit in season. Not all the time. The fruit comes in the right season. The leaves don't wither. But the tree goes through harsh winter months. The scorching summer months, when there is the possibility of drought, the tree endures wind, rain, snow, heat, and even hail. And here is what that means. Even people who are delighting and meditating on God's word still walk through pain and difficulty. We still experience the realities of life, but in the midst of the tough seasons, we are able to stand and even be happy because our roots go beneath, the roots go beneath our circumstances. Many of you, your roots are not deeper than your circumstances. Your happiness is always shifting because your circumstances are always changing. But this tree has roots that are always nourished and fed by God himself through his word. All, our culture believes that happiness comes from complete freedom. We want freedom from authority. We want freedom from God. We want freedom from responsibility. We just love and think and love to think that freedom brings us happiness. But the psalmist says, happiness is having your life anchored in the truth of who God is and what God has said. Happy people have a permanence about them. They have a spiritual stability about them because they are not looking for happiness in their circumstances. They have found it in the God who does not change. They have found it in the timeless truths of his word. They have found it in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is, which is good news even when we get bad news. But many people's spiritual life is a lot, like, lot less like a tree and a lot more like a tumbleweed. Tumbleweeds are free, aren't they? They're having the time of their life. They're free as can be, connected to nothing, getting blown everywhere. And we think, yeah, that's what I want, freedom. That's the life I want, connected, responsible for nothing. I just want to be blown wherever. That sounds great. I'm free. The problem with the tumbleweed is that it's dead. Look at how the psalmist puts it. If the happy man is like a tree, verse 4 says, not so the wicked. And the wicked are those who are just not anchored in God. We hear the word wicked and we think like a sorcerer or something. That's not what it's saying. 
It's those who, who have no regard for God. Not so the wicked. They are not like trees planted by streams of water who bear fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. They're like chaff, kind of the leftovers from harvesting grain. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. When we're not anchored into life with God, there comes a point at which we are just gone. We are forgotten. Nothing we did mattered. And when we begin to think about life that day, that way, what happens? Despair encroaches upon you, and you just push it away saying, oh no, YOLO, I'm going to do fine. You only live once, right? I'm just going to lay it all out there, and I'm just going to live for myself, and I'm going to just search for happiness under every nook and cranny, and I'm just going to have fun while I'm here. We know people like that in our lives, right? Where the goal of their life is to always be at a party. That may work for a while when you're young, but as you age, you'll have to start fighting off the suffocating futility that presses in on you. I found a quote this week from Leo Tolstoy. He wrote War and Peace. I'm going to read the whole book to you now. Just kidding. He wrote War and Peace. Listen to what Leo Tolstoy says. This is a bit of a longer quote, so stay with me. The question which brought me to the verge of suicide, sought an answer without which one cannot really live. Is there any meaning in life that my inevitable death does not destroy? Today or tomorrow, death will come to those I love and then to me. Soon not only will I not exist, but eventually no one who exists will remember anything I have written or done. So why then go on with the effort? What is it all for? What does it all lead to? What difference does it make whether I, not I do this thing or that thing or nothing at all? For a time it is possible to live intoxicated with life, but as soon as one is sober, it is impossible not to see that life in the face of death is a fraud and a stupid fraud at that. If your life has no anchor in Jesus Christ and his word, it is chaff, no real permanence, no real staying power, full of activities and busyness and sound and fury, but ultimately coming to nothing. And so the psalmist does not hold back when he says this, therefore the wicked... Those who have no regard for God will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Bible says it is appointed for man to die once and then face judgment. At the end of your life, if you are chaff, you stand before God, and you hear the word condemned. What's it going to be like for you in that moment, those of us chasing everything except God? You say, this isn't very encouraging. It's not supposed to be. This moment is not supposed to be encouraging. 
It's supposed to be truthful. The psalmist isn't trying to encourage us here. You have no roots in your life? Judgment comes. What is more important to you than knowing God? Bible reading does not save us from judgment. Only faith in Christ does. But Psalm 1 isn't simply a call to read your Bible. It's a call to spend your life getting to know God. The beginning of knowing God is knowing that He has revealed Himself in His Son. You can't know the God of the universe apart from surrendering your life to Christ. Jesus said in John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus says, if you want to find life, you know God and you know me. That's where eternal life is. That's the life you're looking for. The life you're looking for is knowledge of God. And not just knowing facts about God, but knowing Him relationally. It's really hard to stay alive spiritually and grow in Christ and live for Christ without a steady nourishment of His Word going into our hearts. Psalm 1 tells us, the person who knows God lives with an abundant, never-ceasing source of joy that endures throughout all the seasons of his life. And when he or she dies, they are received into eternal life. The ungodly, they live with an increasingly sense of futility. They have no recourse in pain. They can find no meaning in suffering. And when they die, it is simply judgment. This morning, God's word to us is simple. Is happiness possible? Yes. Yes, happiness is possible. How do I get it? Put the roots of your life deep into God. Deep into his word. Learn to take pleasure in who God is and what he has said. Commit your days, commit your nights to discovering God's character, commands, and counsel in His Word. Let the Scriptures shape your thoughts, your behaviors, and your identity, and you will grow in happiness. I'm going to ask, Ron, would you put our action points up this morning? There are three things I think you should do. I think you should confess your cold heart to God. If you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, this is not my life. This isn't my life. I'm not trying to know God through his word. Confess that you're seeking happiness in all the wrong places. Confess that to God. He is gracious and kind and he already knows. And then commit to knowing him through his word. And this message is not, not about you becoming some paragon of discipline. That's not the gospel. This message is about making the pleasure and delight of your life knowing your creator. And the way that we know him best is through his word. Make a commitment to yourself. Make a commitment to God. God, I want to get to know you in your word. You know that sometimes when I read the scriptures, I don't always understand it. I want you to know there are tons of great resources out there. 
I'm going to read the Gospel of John again, and I ordered a book this weekend that I'm going to read the Gospel of John and another book that's about the Gospel of John. Because sometimes I read the Scriptures and I need help understanding. Invest in some good resources for Bible study. Like, it's not like open the book and just decide what it means. Get serious about knowing God and His Word and watch joy, delight, stability rise in your heart, rise in your life. And here's the last thing. Belong to the people of God. Why would I make that an action point? Because we're not supposed to walk with the wicked, with the sinful, with the mockers. Are we supposed to try to evangelize and love on sinful people? Of course. I'm not saying avoid people who don't know Jesus. That's not at all what I mean. Jesus spent a lot of time with people who were far from him. But his goal was to always introduce them to his life-giving power. What I am saying is move your life into godly community. Find some godly friends and run with them. Run with people who want to follow Jesus. Do you know how you know what your future is going to look at look like? Show me who your friends are. Show me who your friends are, and I'll show you your future. Our friendships, our influences, they shape who we are. They shape who we're becoming. We become like those we run with, those we hang with. Some of you, you're allowing all kinds of influences into your life, and you're not allowing God's people to shape your heart, to challenge you, to invite you to run and follow hard after Christ. I'll close this morning by reading this verse out of Jeremiah. It's not on the screen. I just want to read it to us this morning. This is Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Listen to what Jeremiah says. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. He will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought. And it never fails to bear fruit. Like most of our messages here, trust God. And part of trusting Him is getting to know Him. Make that the driving force of your life. That's where happiness is, unless God's a liar. Meditate on his word. Delight in it. Find joy in what God says. Receive it into your life. Let it shape you. Happiness will grow. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, who bears fruit in season, and who prospers 
I want that for my life. I hope you want that for your life. God has shown us how it's possible in his word. Let's pray together. Father, I pray today that it would be the goodness of God that would drive us to the scriptures. Lord, sometimes we read the scriptures and we don't know what to think. Lord, help us to know it's okay to ask. It's okay to ask for help. It's okay to find resources that are helpful to understand. It's also okay to not understand on the first time and to keep trying and to keep thinking and to keep meditating. And Lord, when we read the scriptures, may the desire of our hearts be to see Jesus there. Jesus, you said that it's in the scriptures that we find you because all scripture points to Jesus. Lord, grow our hearts for knowing you. We need help. We need help. We need help. Help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.